All right. Hey, party people. It is Thursday, February the 17th, 2022 here in um, Al-Giza, Egypt, and the time is 7.04 p.m. Welcome to part two of the conversation lecture series on Malcolm X that is being held at Cairo University. Right now, um, we just got through listening to Brother Ahmed Osman speak, and Sister Maurice Hines is now continuing the conversation. that the Malcolm X legacy is one of fidelity. That if I might just quickly read to conclude your beautiful talk, you shared with me the letter. I will just quickly share with the audience that you're sending to me the letter that you just read, harking back to how I became involved in this project. That when my colleagues contacted me to say, let's put on a celebration uh, marking the legacy of Malcolm X. And I began my research and I found, of course, that during his visit to Cairo, that he had written letters and that one scholar in his book had managed to obtain a copy of the letter and permissions from New York Public Library to have that letter published in his text. And I read it and I said, there must be a way that I can acquire perhaps the entire collection Mm. of letters that Malcolm X had written. And during that process, unfortunately, I was not able to do so. And for reasons that is understandable, that is often found in archival collections, that there are invariably restrictions. And I found it quite admirable that the New York Public Library's executors for the Malcolm X definitive collection places a restriction on sending copies of anything from the collection via photocopy. They do, however, say that you can enter the library at will and read as much as you would like. And even while there, there may even be restrictions on what you may be able to copy. I share that with the audience to say that Dr. Osman, reading his letter to us, has special meaning that you were and remained a friend. And again, what is so very admirable is that more than 50 years later, You are sharing with us as an audience that your primary commitment is to ensure that the fidelity, Mm -hmm. the truthfulness of Malcolm X's legacy remains intact and that we explore it and ask the questions and that he does indeed embody, as both you and Dr. Small have indicated, that he is the epitome of what it means to be an educated Dr. Osman. Peaceful greetings to you. I do hope that I will be able to see you during Ramadan and that maybe we can share iftar together right here in Cairo. Thank you so very much for your lovely talk. I am now going to yield to my colleague, Dr. Moniz Hine, who will now introduce and talk with our final discussant. Okay, my bad, y'all. I thought Maurice Hines was that woman. I'm not sure who that was, who was moderating. This is Maurice Hines. Uh, Queen Mother Aisha Al-Adawiyya. And um, I just want to ask you a question. Um, what does Malcolm X mean to you, personally? Uh, shall I respond now? Yes, yes, please. Okay. Salaamu Alaikum to everyone. And I want to first and foremost thank uh, the organizers for providing its opportunity for us to share uh, with your student body. Uh, this and, is Sister uh, Aisha Al-Adwaya. Uh, from around the world. Um, 
what does Malcolm X mean to me? Uh, uh, I think quite simply freedom, uh, uh, the ability, the courage uh, to uh, stand up in the face of injustice, uh, even if it's um, against our own selves, as our sacred text uh, advises us to do. Um, I like to identify myself as um, an activist, uh, not an academic. Uh, so uh, my work is rooted in grassroots organizing. And Malcolm uh, Hajimatic Shabazz uh, personifies that for me uh, and actually um, gives me the wherewithal to want to speak truth to power, right? And to those who are struggling under power. So, 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 and this continues uh, to this day. Uh, I'm learning from my mentors and friends and people that I consider now as family, uh, Dr. Usman uh, and uh, Professor James Smalls. Uh, so uh, this is a lifelong uh, pursuit uh, of justice, of justice. And education certainly has a large role to play here. But uh, Professor Smalls actually uh, uh, aptly uh, uh, qualified what we mean by education, you know. And I think that that's an important question that we have to raise. What kind of education, you know, are we speaking about? Because we know historically, uh, up until this day, that much of our so-called education is really miseducation. And I think that it's our responsibility uh, as a, a, a people who are trying to channel uh, the legacy of Hajimalik Shabazz uh, for this generation and beyond. So, so uh, education is key. Uh, I mean, the, the, the uh, certificates and acknowledgement from prestigious universities is just the basis, it's the groundwork it is not the end result. Uh, what do we do with that? What is it that we learn in these institutions that prepares us to go out into the world and struggle on behalf of those who don't have the wherewithal to struggle for themselves and also to be responsible for the messages that we carry into the world as people speaking in Malcolm's name so Malcolm, for me, uh, continues to be my mentor. Uh, I often say, uh, after the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Malcolm continues to be this guiding light. Uh, Professor Small said that Malcolm was an institution. He was a university, and he continues to be that university for so many people around the world. And as we all know, in this current climate of bigotry and hate on so many fronts globally, that we have a responsibility as we speak about Malcolm to make sure that our children and their children's children understand who this man was, what he stood for, what he gifted us with, and what is our responsibility to transmit the knowledge that we gained as a result of being in the presence uh, of 
a man like Hajj Malik Shabazz, M- Malcolm X. So I, I, I am one who, I mean, I, 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 I certainly support and I encourage uh, education, higher education in all of the universities. But I also advocate that we look at alternative means of education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we understand now that in many of our uh, circumstances, uh, freedom of speech and certainly freedom of academic speech is becoming narrower and more narrow. So we have to find ways to educate ourselves and our children and our communities, our nation, about what life actually is and what it means to be fully human and stand on the side of people who are oppressed and disenfranchised. I think for me that is Malcolm's message. Uh, so, um, I mean, I don't know uh, how we can manage to do all of this in one setting. So we do need to broaden our scope, uh, use all of the tools at our disposal, and stay focused on what it is what it is that we are called to do at this time in Malcolm's name. So I, I, I can talk a lot about what I've learned from Malcolm X, Hajjimatic Shabazz. And I also uh, am very uh, uh, aware um, and conscious of the fact that often we are accustomed to seeing uh, talking heads on screens and we become very passive. Uh, we uh, can imbibe you know, from people talking and that kind of relieves us of our responsibility to go out and acquire knowledge and then use that knowledge for our own personal liberation and for the liberation of our people around the world. So I, I, I like to um, uh, 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 limit my speech and give an opportunity to the students there to see what is it that they have uh, what what's on their minds? What questions do they have? What do they see for their futures? And what are they called to do as they enter, you know, the vaulted halls of higher education, and then into the world? What what is their calling? What is their passion? What is their commitment? And I hope that um, I'm not preempting uh, uh, the moderator's uh, uh, program run. But I really do want to hear from the students to see what is it that they need from us. Uh, we are elders. We are people who have known Hajj Malik Shabazz. And we are people who continue to try to follow that example. So what is it that you need from us as elders in the community to share with you so that you can move forward in a principled courageous way, you know, and to be bold enough to think that you can change the world because you do uh, and you can. So again, I want to thank the organizers for the opportunity to share with you, to be in your company, to meet my mentors, um, Dr. Usman and Professor James Smalls, 
and the organizers. And I also, again, want to thank the people who have tuned in uh, uh, via the Internet. And I hope that this message can go forward globally because this is not just um, um, uh, an issue that resonates in a certain part of the world. But you know, as I uh, say, you know, I was on staff at the Schomburg Center for over 35 years. And for over 20 years, I organized uh, two programs at the Schomburg Center, one on February 15th, um, February 21, I'm sorry, and on May 19th. Uh, and that has been an opportunity to share, to bring people who were able to share their vision, their experience, uh, how Malcolm impacted their lives and their work. And so this is the work that we have to continue to do to find, continue to continue to create new venues to bring this uh, message forward uh, uh, globally. And uh, there are so many issues pressing on our communities these days. So find your passion, find your calling, and then reach out and share what you learned. We have a saying, each one teach one. You know, what is a scholar after all, you know? Uh, we have to move out of that very narrow uh, definition of what is a scholar, you know, because we all have roles and responsibilities to play uh, in terms of storytelling as both of our uh, co-panelists have done so eloquently. So again, I want to say uh, for me, the charge now is to pray that our younger generation will have the courage and the commitment to stand the way Malcolm stood in the face of power, in the face of injustice, always with integrity and love for the people. So again, I want to thank you and may Allah make this prayer, you know, manifest in all of us. Thank you. Salaam alaikum. Alaikum salam. So thank you. Thank you all of our speakers for uh, the words of encouragement and the words of knowledge and wisdom that you have uh, uh, given us. I want to turn now to the chat uh, and look at some of the questions that have been um, uh, gathering. Uh, the first question. Okay, it says uh, it's from from Zachary Nazmi. Uh, it says, "Salam." Can any one of our esteemed guests speak? Uh, esteemed guests speak to the organizations that Brother Malcolm started, such as the O Muslim Muslim Mosque Incorporated. Uh, what was the impression um, these organizations left. Well, maybe I can speak to that probably better than most. I think my big brother or little brother, Asman, was on the committee in 1967 when I was elected twice as the imam. I turned it down the first time of Muslim Mosque, Inc. But I was never a good religious scholar. <laughs> but I served as best I could until I made two hajjahs to Mecca. And 
there was a body, there is a body, a mosque in Harlem. It's called the Mosque of the Islamic Brotherhood. It was founded by Imam Taufik, who was a young student at the time that Malcolm sent on one of his scholarships to study at the El Azhar University in Cairo. And so that mosque is the continuation with the authority that was granted in me to carry on the work of Muslim Mosque Inc. Most of its members were the former members of most of its senior members now, we all getting older, were the former members of Muslim Mosque Inc. OAAU, we are still in existence, but not in the advocacy political way as Malcolm did. I am its international spokesperson. A functional body around the world are called the Sons of Africa. And we exist as the Sons of Africa, functioning under the banner of OAAU, a Rodnell Perkins Collins, Ella Collins' son, is its president. I am the international vice president and primary spokesperson. But we function as Sons of Africa because we felt that there were so many people calling them the Pan-African this and the Pan-African that and the unity this, we needed a functional body. And so the, the core of the Sons of Africa nationally, we've been together over 45 years. Um, and what we do is as sister, we are activists, we do the work. We're also scholars, most of us. Um, you will see us all over the internet, but you may not recognize us until one, and most do identify themselves. As Sons of Africa, we have two major projects, um, projects in West Africa and Ghana that we work on in terms of trying to bridge the links um, with businesses and others. And our other project is to educate the world about who Malcolm X really was through practice. So anytime you raise the name Sons of Africa, you're raising the name OAAU. The one other thing I wanted to mention just on Malcolm that would touch on what Aslam was saying, and then we can go forward, was when I went to Mecca in 75, and I wanted a meeting before the Rabat Balim al-Islamim, the World Muslim League, because I saw some things I wanted to address. I was finally, thanks to the Mufti of Sudan, who sponsored me, able to get that meeting. And in that meeting, as I, we were approaching that meeting, doing e after evening prayers at the Rabbitel, I was told that he's addressed there as Holy Malik and is considered to be a saint in Islam, if I can use that word. Most of the world don't see him that way, but this is certainly how he's seen in the highest part of Islamic scholarship. And as seeing him as Holy Malik or, 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 or this, this one who had practiced what he preached. And I thought that's an, that was an extraordinary thing that most of the world does not know about and should know about. May I, may I jump in here just for a moment uh, in response to Professor J uh, Small's uh, comment about Holy Malik. Uh, I was just speaking with a researcher who's here with me going through my archives, and she brought to my attention the term Oris, 
which means it, it, it's a Sufic term for communication, for communion with God, with Allah. And so the martyrdom of Hajj Malik Shabazz is again this reference. So I appreciate, you know, some clarification on what you've just said, uh, Professor Smalls. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I, re- I was responding to what was given to me before the Rapid Zone in 1975. Mm-hmm. At that, that moment, I was representing both Muslim and the Islamic Culture Center, Asman, which was still down on 72nd Street, where I was married the second time, to the same wife. <laughs> uh, and my presentation was I was there as a representative of Hazmalik El Shabazz before the rapids. I mean, a lot of people may not know, uh, Brother Asman, maybe you can help explaining what the Rabbitown uh, is, because most people don't know. Most people, when I speak to them, have never heard of it. The Rabbitown is Yes, uh, the Rabita is made up of uh, member Muslim countries. Uh, it was founded uh, in the 60s. But uh, really it has not been a very effective organization. Uh, first of all, usually those who are uh, you know, running it are uh, what you can say, traditional uh, religious people who lack knowledge about the needs of the Muslims uh, in places like America. And of course, America is very, I mean, uh, difficult uh, place to understand. And furthermore, which is unfortunate, uh, in the Middle East, Politics has polluted all work. Now it is unfortunate that especially Middle Eastern countries are really scared to death to help Muslims in America. Even to talk to Muslims who come from America. After the 9-11 event, I mean, not only that, but even Muslims have been forced to renounce tenets of their religion. You know, it has become like, you know, a bad word to say the word jihad. Mm. You know, what is jihad? Jihad, every country has jihad. They have their armies to to defend themselves. You know, American constitutions give the individual the right to defend himself. What is jihad? Jihad is to struggle to defend yourself. Jihad is to go in search of education. So this, you know, I mean, uh, 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 what has become in the light of 9-11 really got the Muslims scared to death. Well, the big Muslim population today, much bigger than the time of Malcolm. Uh, Yes, yes. And even Malcolm was promised, you know, scholarships, you know, to Azhar University, uh, to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Nothing came forth. 
And the media, in fact, at that time, they started asking questions, who funded, who funded Malcolm's uh, Hajj? I have letters here, if I had time, I would have read them to you, that Malcolm uh, sent to his, uh, Ella, his sister Ella, thanking her for giving him the money to make the pilgrimage to Mecca. Yes. Ella gave Malcolm $1,500 to make that pilgrimage to Mecca. Yeah. And he was thanking her for that money and telling her that it was good that he came first so that when he goes back, he would tell Ella how to go through the Hajj and teach other African-Americans, you know, how to make the Hajj, you know. And uh, really, you know, and, and that is the reason, you know, I mean, Muslims in America have to rely on themselves. And alhamdulillah, to a great extent, you know, they are doing that. Uh, but it is really very unfortunate. So someone just um, posted in the chat that it says here, um, it's uh, Jahari Abdul Malik Sil says that as the Muslim chaplain at Howard University, Rabita hosted many of the many of my students for Hajj by over a decade. So I know you were just hearing the word Rabita. That is an actual person. Uh, no, no, it was the Umrah. And, uh, uh, she wanted, you know, to go with a mosque in New Jersey. And then the embassy in Washington denied her a visa. They said, well, uh, she should have a muhram with her. And then when I was approached, I, fortunately at that time, uh, 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 King Faisal son was the ambassador. My apologies, Rabitza was an organization. My apologies, Rabitza at Howard University was an organization. Uh, Jahari says, Rabitza has some issues, but they did help my students. Only then they would let her join, you know, the group and, uh, and go for the hitch, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, there is a need, you know, for a modern understanding of Islam. Uh, not only that, I also want to mention it aside, that relevant of Malcolm to African countries today and to the Muslim countries today. Unfortunately, Islam is being distorted today in Muslim countries by Muslims. Yeah, yeah. Just the same way the nation of Islam distorted Islam in America. You know, Islam is being used as a political end not to enjoy the principles of Islam. Yeah. Huh? And I am telling my Sudanese friend, Malcolm's Maxim, when he said, I am for truth and I am for justice, no matter it is for whom or against whom. That is Islam. You need to stand by principles, not use religion as a political tool to gain political ends. And that is what is really the reality in most of the Muslim countries. So, so we have a, a, um, a few more questions, but uh, the time is up. Um, maybe we can take maybe just just another question from the. Okay, so there was a question that someone had concerning um, uh, Dr. Osman's part in the. Uh, 
one mosque in New York. It was asking about orthodoxy, saying that there was um, was not alien in New York City. Uh, my question is: Was Malcolm possibly aware of the of the mainstream Islam? He was even meeting Muslim uh, diplomats at the UN, but could but could only arrive to it because of the cult hold of the nation of Islam. That's someone's uh, question. It's just not clear. Okay. I didn't understand that question. Exactly. I think the simple thing they're saying: Did Mal was Malcolm aware of Orthodox Islam yeah. during the period of time he's in the Nation of Islam? I Is guess that that's the crux of the question. I guess that's the crux of the question. Yes. Not the question of the question. Was he aware of Orthodox Islam when he was in the Nation of Islam? Um, I, I can ask. I can ask the question. This is uh, my question. Basically, is is that if for 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 uh, Malcolm X, uh, who was in, in a very cosmopolitan city like New York, uh, even in the 1950s, um, and uh, and the claim that you know that um, Sunni Islam, Orthodox Islam, was not um, was not known to the nation of Islam, despite the fact that there is evidence that. Uh, Islamic mosques and organizations were condemning uh, the nation of Islam in the 1950s. Um, but what, what you get the sense from reading the, the life story of Malcolm X that Sunni Islam just pops up on the scene in 1964, um, and, and up, to, up to that point, there is not any engagement with it. For someone who is meeting with UN diplomats uh, from the Muslim world, uh, there was, must have been some engagement with um, Sunni Islam but I, I presume perhaps that the uh, cult hold of the Nation of Islam prevented Malcolm X from getting out of his bubble. Uh, but I, I don't know if there's any, any other reason. Uh, because I think he even went to Jeddah in 1959. Uh, so there's a, there's, a very, there's, a, there's a black hole there that we're not really aware of. May, may I speak to it first, Osman? Osman, you, you were with him at his side, you know, at, shortly after that period of time. Um, but I can speak after you've spoken. You. I would like to speak also. Okay, so thanks. Well, I will go right after Sister Aisha's comment, please. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, uh, I would like to say that for sure, uh, Hajmalik Shabazz uh, was in contact with people from the larger Muslim uh, uh, community. Someone just uh, posted, um, Nsinga Knight said that actually Malcolm X's sister Ella was already practicing Sunni Islam. She left the Nation of Islam before him. ...of uh, Muslims, you know, globally. So yes, um, it was not foreign to him. And by the time he uh, left the Nation of Islam, uh, of course he had uh, numerous contacts and was actually... Um, uh, engaging with some of the teachings of Islam uh, that's practiced by the majority of Muslims in the world. So the answer to your question is yes. But let me try to say what he was de dealing with. First, never, do not please, it's not the nation of Islam. I wouldn't call it a cult. All religions started in response to their economic, social, and political situation. Right. The nation of Islam is evolving in the United States of America. 
There's an African population there but at that time of barely 20, 25 million people who is oppressed. And there is nobody coming to that people's aid. That people has to respond to its own salvation and its own freedom. The Nation of Islam grows up along with multiple other organizations under that situation. But when the character Malcolm X came into the nation, it bloomed. Whereas other organizations, and there were other Islamic organizations in America prior to the Nation of Islam, that did not bloom as the nation did under the leadership of Malcolm X. When Malcolm X came, they had only a few thousand people. You know, by the time they ousted them, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. And so that's an extraordinary part of why you see the response. But when he writes his autobiography, he's still in the nation. And he's trying to write a promo document, as much as I can see, to show how the nation could be a tool of redemption for the downtrodden in black America. That's what this is about. You can't dismiss too much emphasis is placed on the question of his relationship with acceptance or unacceptance of European. His whole function is about saving a people that have been hundreds of years under oppression and genocide. And he's responding to that. The nation is responding to that. That they get it wrong, history has shown us they got it wrong as far as Islam as a theology mm-hmm. in terms of its tenets. Mm-hmm. But Malcolm didn't know about Orthodox Islam, but in that early days, he felt Orthodox Islam was not appropriate for the liberation of black American people. Mm-hmm. He would later learn that he had to, and I think Osman probably, Baba Osman more than anybody, becomes the educator that introduces him through the theology and the tenets of Islam. It's one thing to have a knowledge of a history of meeting some people, but to learn a hadith, multiple hadith, to, to study Quran and Arabic, a language we did not speak in America, and the people in the nation did not speak it. So this is where Osman can conclude this, because he becomes a doorway for Malcolm. From what I've learned, I know a lot more about him through the family than he knows. I know he becomes this doorway for Malcolm to see the greater Muslim world and Islam as a religion than he had ever seen before. And that's important. Yes, I know it's there, but I don't really know it or see it. And I may even view it as an enemy. Then somebody comes and opens that door for me so that I can see it and I can begin to learn it and introduce me to people who can teach me. And then you begin to see a transformation of Malcolm that happens rapidly in, in what, four or five months? Um, that, 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 that dwarfed what had happened in 11 years prior. And that's an extraordinary thing, Brother Ahmed. Okay, so there's a sister in the Zoom meeting named Lauren Clark, and I just want to read some of her questions because they may not get answered. One of her questions is, um, do you all recall of any times when Malcolm X told of stories of his trips to, okay, did I just like skip that whole thing? Do you all recall any times when Malcolm X told stories of his trips to South Sudan to spend time with the Cholo Dicta and newer people? He made many trips there, ate their food, lived outside with them, and saw them as brothers. They gave him the the name Red Rooster. 
Did he ever tell stories about that? And then another question that Sister Clark is asking is, Bell Hooks criticized Spike Lee's film of Malcolm X because it lacked portraying the influence of black American women who mentored him. These women were not Muslim. Nevertheless, they mentored him. They included Dr. Maya Angelou, Shirley Graham, du- Shirley Graham Dubois, and Vicki Garvin. Do you remember him telling stories about meeting Dr. Maya Angelou? So those are some questions. Um... um and okay, so I'm going to go back to uh, this Zoom meeting. I just wanted y'all to hear these questions because it's, even though there are questions that may not get answered, it's information that, you know, you may not have known. All right, here we go. With the socialist organization, with the communist organization, but we never interact with African Americans. And I told them, what is this socialist uh, communist? You know, these are the fringe groups in America, they have no leverage. They will not help you in anything. In fact, in 1969, I invited Ella Collins, Malcolm's sister, to be the keynote speaker at the annual Arab Student Organization in Indiana. Yes. You see. And that is a really a big shortcoming of the and Malcolm also pointed out that when he went in London, I think Manchester University, where the uh, professor Mutesra uh, Rahim made for him a lecture there. And he told them the fact that we distorted Islam, the Muslims, the Muslim countries should be responsible for that because they didn't come and tell us the right Islam. And he's right. You see? And thank you um, to all of our speakers. Um, the time is uh, drawing near. We're actually a little bit over time today. Um, I'm going to collect these questions and I'll send these uh, other great questions that you all have uh, to um, the speakers. And uh, I can sort of facilitate, if you fill out that form that's there in the chat box, I can facilitate uh, answers to those questions, hopefully. Um, uh, yes. So thank you all for coming. Uh, and thank you, our uh, distinguished guests, for showing up um, and sharing with, with us your experiences and your, your knowledge and your wisdom. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for coming out uh, this evening in Cairo and this morning and afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Uh, so thank you so very much, and uh, have a good day and night. Okay, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You just um, participated with me in a um, conversation about Malcolm X at the University of Cairo. It was a Zoom meeting, and I want to thank, mad shout out, mad shout out to the ladies of uh, the Black Expat Women who uh, are in the group that I'm in and are very, very, very much so active. And uh, they put stuff on all the time. As a matter of fact, there was a American cook at the University of Cairo today at 4 o'clock. I wanted to go, but I don't get off till 3. And, you know, getting from Al Giza to Cairo is not always <laughs> going to happen in an hour. So um, it's literally like a 45-minute drive, but 
I just couldn't do it. Some told me, just don't get in a car. Just hold out for the lecture on Malcolm X. But it's funny to me. I just want to say this. It's not even funny to me. Y'all know that one of the things that I have been talking about since I've been here is how we don't have access to each other. You have black people in Africa. First of all, you have black people in Africa who's separating themselves from themselves. So you got people in Northern Africa who do not see themselves as quote unquote real Africans. And then the whole idea that, you know, black Americans historically have not had genuine access to African people, like, and even traveling there. But we have spent years and years and years of watching stacks of white people, stacks of um, Christian white people go over into Africa on quote unquote missionary trips, right? I mean, and this was even evident, you know, I have relatives that were black missionaries. As a matter of fact, when I saw the color purple, I was like, that's Uncle Ulysses and his wife. You know, I have literal relatives who went over to Africa in the name of Christianity to convert the African people. And uh, they actually even adopted some African children who we got the opportunity to meet back in the mid-90s, I think, at a family reunion. So once again, this conversation has come up to where Malcolm X is really concerned about the plight of Africans in America, about the plight of black people in America, about the plight of the black American and the access. You know, he had to literally go on a hajj before he realized that he had compartmentalized himself through religion. And then he gets over into Africa and he's just like floored. He gets what he says, he gets freed, right? So I just think that's amazing that now I'm over here in 2022 saying the same thing. We still don't have access to each other and we're on Zoom meetings. We still don't have access to each other. And you literally like, okay, so prime example, I did a, uh, and I got 42, I'm at 42. So I'm gonna get off of here. Um, Christianity is just like, y'all, I don't even know. Um, it is not the thing. It's not the way to go. I'm, I, I'm sorry for saying that, you know, but if you don't free yourself from how you became a Christian, you are not a Christian. You have got to be rebaptized. You've got to be retransitioned. You've got to be transformed. You cannot be practicing Christianity under the old regime into which it was um, given to you. I don't care what nobody says. I'm, I'm done with it because I'm literally over here. Um, listening to people talk about the original religion for black people, the, the organic, something that was true. We weren't bothering nobody. Not we. I'm not Muslim. But the Muslim people, Islam, wasn't bothering nobody. And now it's been demonized. The same way black Christianity is demonized. Because if you don't know, it's been, it's been sanitized. Now people got to clean. They got to sing clean. You know, we don't want all that hooping and hollering because that is where the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And for some reason, we just won't let white Jesus go. I don't even understand. We're even putting a black face on the idea of Jesus being manifest. Now, he was manifest, but he is the son of God. You know what? I'm not a preacher. Some of y'all are going to be real mad at this. But you know what? I'm over it. I'm done. I'm good. Because 
I'm literally in it right now. You know, I wake up every morning in a space. This is not the whole of my existence. It's not the whole of my existence. But I'm literally going, why can't I come to Egypt, grab some oils, and take them back to America? And then I get over to America and I go to World Market and they got all the oils. What is going on that we don't have access to each other? And what is, what is, what is, what is bordering us from, from being with each other? Ugh, I'm having some other thoughts, y'all. So bear with me. Malcolm X transformed. He never went to a university, but he was a university. That's something that I heard today. And I'm all about transformation. I should probably get transformation tattooed on my body somewhere in Arabic. Like if there is a word for transformation, because that is the healing balm for our people, y'all. We have got to let go. We've got to learn to let go and, and reinvent ourselves. I was saying this the other day to a friend that, you know, I wonder are black Americans are we as, um, can we be, um, are we as um, long-lasting as we think we are? You know, are, could we be banished or taken out like the Native Americans? Now, when, you, when I say that, you may be thinking, well, no, because, you know, we can't be given a disease and all of that. But, I'm, you know, it'll be a new way of wiping us out. And right now we're heading into this technological world where you have to have a digital footprint. But the digital footprint can be erased. And once they get it to a point to where it's all credited and it's all about your digital footprint and they erase your dis- digital footprint, do you then exist? So how do you get to a point of being able to exist? whole as a person in this country without the false social construct of being black because whatever it is we are it's not black it's not nigger it's not nigger it's not coon it's not it's not a soul brother it's not any of that we're human but we keep fighting against this white, white nationalism, you know, it is, you know, and they are determined to, to, to exist. And the funny thing is that it's fewer of them than there are of us. But we're the ones struggling to survive and maintain. And I think Malcolm X, upon his death, was combining some of the the theology of what he was before he became El Haj Malik Shabazz and what he became, which is kind of this space we're all existing in right now. And we can't make sense of it because we're scared to let go of one thing and grab onto another because it's been beat the fuck into us. I'm talking about beat. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed being able to hear a firsthand account from Ahmed Osman. And it's Ahmed Osman. I still haven't learned. My kids are always like, Miss, you have to learn how to do the ah, ah. So it's ah, and then it's a ah. So, you know, I'm still trying to do that. But Ahmed Osman, uh, Brother James Small, 
the panel was put on by Maurice Hines, who I think I'm going to go over to the University of Cairo. The University of Cairo is where I went to see the jazz music. I posted it on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I have access to that campus, uh, to my knowledge. Um, Sister um, Aisha Al-Adwa, um, I don't, I'm going to have to Google and see who exactly who she was. I think I missed the formal introductions of everyone, but I really hope y'all enjoyed it. I hope you can hear it. Um, and I really think that if Malcolm X was alive today, he would be a frequent speaker on in Nubia that is hosted by Dr. Karen Hunter. I, I truly believe that he would realize that Nubia is the future, that if you if you plan to survive, that, that you need to be a part of that, that um, constituency of people, professionals, scholars, educators, students, um, and the like, and you bring your brick. You know, I'm speaking on it from afar, but you bring your brick. It's definitely, definitely a Malcolm X type of joint. So, um, anyway, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Thank y'all for joining me. There's more to come. Please uh, make sure you stay tuned in. Um, season three, I will be doing the story of Hapshetsut. <laughs> I got it. Hapshetsut. It's an amazing story. I'm actually recording them and they will go live um, in June when I get back to the States. So I'm already like lining them up for y'all and I hope you stay uh, tuned in with me for that. All right. That was part two of the conversation on Malcolm X at the University of Cairo. Um, the 17th of February, 2022, here in Egypt. Be good, be good, be good, be God. Peace.